Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Shalom, shalom, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I am your host, Joe Amon, pastor at Out of Ashes Ministries, coming to you all the way from southwest Louisiana. I hope you guys are all doing well. Hag Hamatzot, Pesach is in the books, another one in the books. And uh, I hope you had an incredibly wonderful Pesach and uh, unleavened bread and uh, are enjoying the uh, afterglow of Hakamatsu. That's what we're going to talk about today, uh, a little bit about the afterglow, and um, a couple other things that I think you'll find really interesting. Uh, and so I just want to say welcome. Great to have you guys listening today, and um, want to say welcome to anybody who is joining us for the first time. If you're stopping by on Hebrew, Na- uh, Hebrew Nation Online, thank you guys for stopping by. Stick around, and hopefully you enjoy the conversation. And for those of you guys that are regular listeners, thank you for being faithful to tune in or to catch the archives later on when it's uploaded. Um, thank you guys also, those of you that join us uh, out of Ashes Ministries for our Shabbat live stream. We have had some technical difficulties the last several weeks. We've been uh, fighting Internet issues uh, for about the last three weeks. And yet this last Shabbat, we were able to be online and looks like we have a temporary solution and are looking at other more permanent options. Uh, but I just want to thank you guys for being faithful and sticking around and, uh, and, and hanging out with us. And if you're uh, out there listening and you don't have a Shabbat fellowship or uh, a group that you meet with, or if you have a group or a fellowship, but you meet at a different time, uh, we'd love to have you join us 10 a.m. Central uh, every Shabbat. Uh, as long as the internet's working. <laughs> uh, and we live stream uh, to our website, outofashesministries.org, as well as to Facebook and YouTube. And uh, so join us, hang out with us, tell us Shabbat Shalom, where you, tell us where you're from. We'd love to, to see you guys, meet you guys, and hang out. So I'm uh, really super excited uh, about what's going on and uh, the, the conversation that we have for today, the topic that we have for today. So... Without further any any further ado, uh, let us go before the Father before we jump into uh, this week's episode. Avinu Malkinu, our Father and our King, we bless you and we love you. And we ask, Father, that you imprint on us the image of Messiah. Imprint in us the personality, the character, the, the authority, the very being of your Messiah. We bless you today. Everybody, so Passover is 
passed over. It's over, and Hagamatsa is over. And I want to talk to you today about something that I just learned about this year. Now, it, many of you know my journey. If you've listened to the um, the, the radio show for any length of time, uh, I've talked about my journey uh, and our journey as a ministry and stuff. Um, but when I first got my eyes open to Torah, I was uh, an uh, tenured pastor, uh, youth pastor on pastoral staff at a large church here in our local community, and um, you know had to deal with a lot of things and navigate a lot of different things uh, alone, right, by myself. Um, I didn't know there was a whole community out there of, of Christians, of people that were starting to follow the Torah. Like, I had no idea this was a thing. I thought it was just me, which I know a lot of you, you know, you guys and gals can probably relate to, right? And uh, so I had the pressure of this ministry and, you know, the the church that I was serving and stuff and, uh and had you know a young family trying to navigate all these things <clears throat> excuse me all these things and so um i tended to not uh reach out and and follow a lot of teachers um i also had had some real struggles with leadership in ministry over the last you know several years and i was young and just had a lot of had a lot of issues let's just put it like that <laughs> is it okay for me to admit i had a lot of issues um and so I tended to just kind of, uh, you know, get in my own little cocoon and study and, you know, and reach out and, and, and figure out what I could find and research and stuff out there. And I talk, I, I tried to talk to people in my circles, which was a terrible idea at the time. I didn't know that. I was just looking for somebody to answer, you know, to ask these questions that might have some answers. And many of you know what that's like. You go to your pastors or you know, ministers that you know and respect and you get shut down, et cetera. So um, all of that just forced me further and further inside where I just thought I'll, I'll do it myself. Um, I did listen to some teachings. You know, I, I listened to a lot of teachings. I didn't really have like teacher religion, though. I didn't like I didn't become like a, you know, a, a fanboy for a, per, a, a certain speaker. Uh, and some teachers I never even listened to some, you know, really popular ones. And so I navigated this time and, and I really went through a uh, coming from a Sola Scriptura background, I really went through a, a very anti-rabbinic, anti-Semitic, um, really, you know, anti-oral law, anti-whatever-the-Jews-say, you know, kind of season. And uh, and that really lasted for several years. Uh, and it was kind of my, the foundation that I built when I first came into an understanding of Torah or started the beginning an understanding of Torah. And that's been about 15 years ago now. And every year, especially during the feast days, um, it, it's, it's more and more, I'm more and more aware of just how anti-rabbinic I was and for how long I was that way. So this, if you, if you were with us on Shabbat, this won't be a new thing for you, but uh, it is for me. And and after 15 years of celebrating Passover in some kind of way, shape, or form, um, whether it's really, really, you know, simplified and kind of from a solo scriptura approach, or whether it's a full-blown seder or two seders, um, there's been a real evolution. I'll say, for better or for worse, some people say either way. Anyway, doesn't matter. But I, I, this year, I learned uh, about a third seder, and if you're thinking. Pesach Sheni, second Passover, that's not the Seder I'm talking about. 
But I was researching some calendar stuff and just looking at some some different calendar stuff. Yes, I know I talk about the calendar and I say don't worry about it, but I'm still fascinated by it. So I was reading some things and I came across on a Jewish site on actually a Chabad.org. I came across this thing called Seuda Moshiach, which translates Messiah's meal or Mashiach's meal. And I was immediately intrigued. There's a couple things that intrigue me about it. Number one, that that there's this thing in Judaism called Mashiach's meal. That's really intriguing on the face of it. Number two, though, um, and kind of equal, kind of before that, I realized that you know when we when we keep um, when we keep the Hillel calendar, we have a different little different rendering than they do in the land of Israel. So in the land. For instance, you have one day of Pesach, seven days of Hakamatzah, you're done, right? But in the diaspora, in the exile, you have two seders and you have eight days of Pesach altogether. And the reasons for that is because in antiquity, uh, they would mark the feast days, mark the calendars by lighting signal fires. And those signal fires would go on the hilltops of, you know, Judea and Samaria, all throughout Israel. They would go through on the hilltops from community to community, and that would alert everybody that, hey, it's, you know, it's the first of Nisan, it's the first of Aviv, or whatever. And so people would know exactly when the feast days were, because those things were uh, were settled at, at, in Jerusalem at the temple by the sighting of the moon, et cetera, et cetera. And then it was spread out from there. Well, as the diaspora began to grow and people began to move further and further away from the land of Israel, the Jewish people, uh, there was a fear that either, one, just from the, the pure mechanics of it, signal fires weren't going to be an option, and two, uh, that if they did use signal fires, by the time they got to, the alerts got to the Jews in the diaspora, they would have missed the day. So... The uh, they developed uh, an, an extra day for many of the holidays. So Pesach is a meal on the 14th, right? On the evening, uh, the late evening of the 14th, and then Hakamatsu begins the 15th, or begins that nightfall for the 15th. Well, so they add a second seder uh, on actually on the first the, the Yom Tov, the high Shabbat of Hakamatsu, so that if you miss the the first night, the the actual Passover on the 14th, you could keep it again. And then subsequently at the end of the week, there's an extra day uh, added at the end, the eighth day. Now, I'm going to get into this a little bit, but really quickly, I just want to say, you know, for me for so long, it was like, well, if, if, they, if the Jews would just stop messing with the, the Torah, what it plainly says, then everybody would be on the same page. And what we failed to realize is, number one, the, the reason that they made adjustments, uh, that they, they added a day here, they, they gave... Um, leniency for a win to keep the the commandments is because they want every they wanted every Jew to be able to celebrate together, so they they did not they did not monkey with the Torah to for some you know some negative reason they didn't they didn't have some ulterior motive for doing it they wanted everybody to to make sure you didn't miss the Pesach and so they this is the reason for it. It's not, it's not maniacal. It's not, you know, ulterior. It doesn't have any negative connotations. Secondly is I have dealt with this issue of and this feeling of like, God, I got to keep it another day. Like is seven days not enough? I got to do one more day. And while I may not voice that openly, 
you know, in public or in Facebook or, you know, when I teach on Shabbat, I know that just from our fellowship and people that I've known throughout the years, there is this sense of like, okay, by the end of seven days, I'm done with eating matzah. You know, I'm, I just want, I want to dive into a whole plate full of yeasty goodness. And, and really from, you know, if you do any amount of reading in Jewish literature and, and you really want to have a good understanding of why things are the way they are. And, and that's another, another point, quick point let me make. If we want to, if we just want to say, well, the Jews just mess up everything. They just keep, they just keep messing with the text. They keep messing with the Father's stuff. And God clearly says don't add or take away. And they're wrong, period. Full stop. I don't want to have anything to do with it. If that's, if that's our attitude, then, then that's where we are, period. And we will never grow from there. But if we we want to understand why they did what they did, and I think I think in all sincerity, true seeking of truth and of, of the knowledge of Hashem, we have to sincerely ask, why did they do what they did? And if we will if we will humbly and and honestly search out why they did, I think we will see that they had very, very good reasons for for adopting the tradition and the things the traditions and things that they did and we owe it to them we owe it to messiah because he's their brother we owe it to ourselves to have an honest and sincere look before we just castigate the jews for changing everything to see why they did the way they did by the way remember the torah was not given to us it was given to them. Yes, there was a mixed multitude, but we're so far lost from the mixed multitude, we don't know where we came from. So the Torah was given to them specifically over and over and over. The nation of Israel is told to keep and guard, to keep and guard, to keep and guard. And that's what they've done. They've kept it and they've guarded it. We might not like how they've kept it and guarded it, but that's not really up for us to say, okay? So all I'm asking for is just to open your heart a little bit and have some sincere curiosity. So the, so we have this, this idea of the, the dates and, and extra days outside of the land of Israel and the diaspora, etc. So we have this thing in Pesach in the diaspora called the eighth day of Passover. Now, when I say talk about the eighth day, you probably immediately think about another eighth day that you're aware of. And what eighth day is that? The one at the end of Sukkot, right? So in, in the land of Israel, there's an eighth day of Sukkot. Actually, in the diaspora, there's nine days of Sukkot. But this idea that we have an eighth day, and we've talked about the eighth day on Shabbat. We've talked about it on the radio show before. But th- this idea of the eighth day, um, instead of going one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, in this over and over and over cycle, the eighth day is a picture of that the seven, that actually the seventh day becomes the new reality. And the seventh day is now your, your present and your future. You don't start over again at day one. You've, you've reached, you've reached this place of, of, with Hashem and this place in, in the world and in creation where th- this is the new normal. Shabbat is the new normal. Peace rest, ceasing, right? Order out of chaos, all these beautiful things. And so the eighth day, the Shmini is, is just, uh, there's so many layers to it. I love it, but I'm not going to get stuck on that. We're going to move on. So this last Shabbat for us here in the diaspora was Shmini Shel Pesach, the eighth day of Pesach, of Passover. And 
So while I could talk another two or three episodes about that, I won't. But it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture. So I found out about this thing called Mashiach's meal, Messiah's meal. And many people that I've talked to, are they were like, yeah, yeah, we know. And I'm like, holy cow, why is that not a big deal for you? I'm like, oh, it's just a thing. And, and it's a huge deal for me um, because I, I, part of it is because we tend to think in the non-Jewish world, well, Yeshua came and fulfilled the spring feast, right? He came and fulfilled the Passover, uh, unleavened bread, and then upon giving of the spirit at Shavuot, right? And what we are looking for is we're looking for Messiah to return during the fall feast, and for him to fulfill the fall feast, and that completes the calendar, right? And we talk about the day of trumpets as his, his coming, second coming, and, and all these kinds of things. But have you ever stopped to consider that maybe there is some weight to the idea of Yeshua returning during the time of Passover again? And I, I, as I kind of read through some of this stuff and in other scholastic stuff and non-Jewish things— um, there is definitely an understanding in Judaism that Messiah will come during the season of Pesach, uh, and that has a lot of validity to it. There also is, in the Torah-keeping world, uh, Jew and non-Jew, an understanding that Messiah may come during the time of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. So there's really good evidence on both sides. I'm not here to debate which one. I'm just here to ask us to consider that maybe the final redemption, the final great redemption, the final great rescue may happen at a Pesach again. And so as I was looking at this Seuda Mashiach, Messiah's meal, I was reading some of the rabbinic commentary and some of the articles on Chabad, and they're wonderful. And I would encourage you to go and just go to Chabad.org and search Messiah, Mashiach's meal, Messiah's meal. You'll find all the links, and it's fantastic. So if you have um, kept up with the readings, the traditional uh, readings for Pesach. You read a lot in Shemot, a lot in Devarim. There's some readings in uh, Bamidbar and then the Haftarot that are read during. There's no shortage of devotional readings during Pesach and Chol Hamoed, the intermediate days, etc. Well, if you know anything about that, you know that the Haftarah for um, Shmini Shel Pesach, for the eighth day of Passover, comes out of the prophet Isaiah. And it's Isaiah chapter 10 verse 32 through Isaiah chapter 12, verse 6. And starting in chapter 11, verse 1, it says, A staff will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a shoot will sprout from his roots. And a spirit of Hashem will rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and fear of Hashem. He will be sensed with fear of Hashem. He will not judge by what his eyes see, nor will he decide by what his ears hear. He will judge the destitute with righteousness and decide with fairness for the humble of the earth. For he will strike the earth with the staff of his mouth, and with the breath of his mouth he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will girdle around his loins, and faith will be the girdle of his waist. A wolf will dwell with a sheep, and a leopard will lie with a kid, a calf, a lion, and a fatling together, with a young child leading them. A cow and a bear will graze together, and their young will lie down together, and a lion will eat hay like a cattle. A suckling will play by the hole of a viper or a child, and a newly weaned child will stretch his hand towards an adder's lair. 
They will neither injure nor destroy in all of my sacred mount. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of Hashem as the waters covering the seabed. On that day, the root of Jesse that will remain standing will be a banner for all peoples. Nations will seek him and his resting place will be glorious. And it will be on that day, verse 11, my Lord again will show his strength to acquire the remnant of his people that have remained from Assyria and from Egypt and from Patros and from Cush and Elam and Shinar and from the Hamas and from the islands of the sea. He will raise a banner for the nations and assemble the castaways of Israel. As the dispersed ones of Judah, he will gather in from the four corners of the earth. And then it goes on to talk about the jealousy of Ephraim, and uh, it just, it's, it's incredible. But this passage in Isaiah is a messianic passage. It's a passage of the messianic age. It's one that we know very well in Christianity, or we should know. We talk about the lion laying with the lamb, but it's actually the wolf. But we know this passage, and we attribute it all to Messiah. And we go, like, that's Yeshua the sprout of Jesse, right? And the spirit of the Lord being on him and him being incensed with the fear of Hashem. And, and we talk about all this in Christianity. Well, on the last day of Pesach, this is the passage that is, writ- that is read in every synagogue in the entire world. Every Jewish family is reading, every observant Jewish family is reading this passage, this Haftarah, on the last day of Pesach every year all around the world. And then... They have afternoon prayers, and then at the end of the eighth day, they have this Seuda Moshiach, this Messiah's meal. What is this Messiah's meal? Well, just really in short, again, you can go and read it more, um, you know, you can read about it more, do some research. First Fruits of Zion also has some information on Messiah's meal, but it's basically was created by the Baal Shem Tov uh, and several hundred years ago. Because he saw that darkness was increasing. And so in an effort to increase the light, as darkness increased, the light must also increase. In, in order to increase the light, he, he instituted this, or he started, he just started doing it, and it became a thing. This Mashiach, Seuda Mashiach, where he, he kind of modeled it after the Seder of Pesach, where he had unleavened bread, he had matzah, and he had four cups of wine, right? It's like the Seder. And the story goes that he would just open his door and anyone that would like to come in would come in and and have this meal and they would talk about Mashiach. They would talk about the expectation. What is it going to be like? What's going to happen? You know, the the excitement and the joy of all that will be fulfilled and the the realization, the new reality that will be here whenever Mashiach comes. And this got picked up and picked up and it became a thing. And this is to me, and and it's just so unbelievably incredible how because I think about Pesach, and I think many of us do is like, well, Pesach was our salvation. We were born again. You know, that's kind of like our Pesach. We were delivered from sin on Pesach, and that's kind of where we stop. And the last couple of weeks on Shabbat, we've talked about, and I know we didn't live stream, and I'm sorry, but we've talked about this, you know, the the idea of of Pesach as protest. So we were saved from something. We were redeemed from something, not a physical Egypt, but other things and sin included. But we weren't only redeemed from, we were also redeemed for. And that Passover, the whole ethic of Passover, the whole personality of Passover is that Passover and its events stand as a protest against empire, against violence, against oppression, against judgment, against all those things. 
And so it's not just the event that matters about Passover. It's what that event produces and requires of us as we walk over, walk out the identity of being people that have been Passovered, Pesached, that have been redeemed, right? And this goes so much along with it because what is the end goal of redemption? The end goal of redemption is not just for me and you personally. It's not just for the church. It's not just for the, the Jews. It's not just for, it's that the whole world would be filled with his glory. And the whole point of it is that one day Messiah will come and he will wrap it all together and he will fully restore the entire world. And at that point, we will have understood our journey. We will have understood why we were redeemed in the first place. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to read a couple of other uh, selections and fill out this idea of Messiah's Meal and why it should be a, a challenge and an encouragement to us as believers in 2022, next year, 2023, when we keep Pesach again. So stick around. We'll be right back right after the break. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this segment, the second segment in this episode of Image Bearers Radio. So we are talking about this thing in Pesach, uh, in Judaism, called Seuda Moshiach, Messiah's Meal. Now, I told you that on the eighth day in every Jewish synagogue, in every synagogue around the world, they have prayer service, and then they have uh, Messiah's Meal. Now, there's a really cool um, prayer that is prayed before the removal of the Torah from the Ark during the Shacharit service, this morning prayer service on Shemini Shel Pesach. And uh, I have a Pesach uh, Maksur, which is all the prayers for all the Pesach services. And again, it, you know, if, if, if you're not interested in praying all the prayers because you think it's legalism or you think it's whatever you think it is, that's fine. Um, I don't pray all these prayers either, per se. But I tell you what, these prayers... These scripture selections, the introduction commentary and stuff to to these prayer services is you owe it to yourself. You owe it to yourself to spend the whatever it is, 40, 50, 60, 80 dollars, I don't know, and buy this collection of Maksarim. They have it for Pesach, for Shavuot, for Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. You can get all of them in one set. Uh, this particular one comes from Koran. It's fantastic. So during the Shacharit service, before the ark is uh, before the Torah is taken out of the ark, there's several prayers that are prayed, blessings that are made, and this is one that each individual says silently and uh, and customizes kind of for themselves in preparation for the Torah to be read. It says, "Master of the universe, fulfill fulfill my heart's requests for good, satisfy my desire, grant my request." And enable me, and you say your name, and then you name your sons, daughters, spouse, parents, and all the members of my household to do your will with a perfect heart. Deliver us from the evil impulse. Grant us our share in your Torah. 
and make us worthy that your presence may rest upon us. Confer on us a spirit of wisdom and understanding and there that, and may there be fulfilled in us the verse. Now they're going to quote from Isaiah 11, which we just read. May it be fulfilled in us the verse, the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and reverence for Hashem. So too may it be your will, Lord our God and God of our ancestors, that we be worthy to do deeds that are good in your sight and to walk before you in the ways of the upright. Make us holy through your holiness so that we may be worthy of a good and long life and of the world to come. Guard us from evil deeds and bad times that threaten to bring turmoil to the world. May loving kindness surround one who trusts in the Lord. Amen. So before the ark is taken out, they read this verse. They read the, or they, they say this prayer and they quote from Psalm 11, the spirit of the Lord may rest upon him. Now in Isaiah, that's talking about Mashiach. So how dare we pray that about our own selves? Oh, but just wait. There is a video on Chabad, and if you do a search for this, you'll come across it by Rabbi uh, Aaron uh, Raskin. Rabbi Aaron Raskin, he's a rabbi in Brooklyn Heights. And I want to read you what he says about uh, in his, he says a short 30-minute video about the Messiah's meal. And I want to read to you a quote from that video. And when I heard him say this, I, I through the shock and through the, the emotion and through the eventually the tears, I had to go back and listen to it. I don't know. I listened to it 20 or 30 times because I just thought it was so unbelievably incredible. He says this, the main part of Mashiach's Seuda is to eat the matzah and drink four cups of wine. What is the concept of Mashiach's Seuda? Why must we eat and drink? Why isn't it enough that we read the Haftarah that deals with the aura or the personality of Mashiach? And the answer is very simply that it is not enough that we think about Messiah or we talk about Messiah, but we have to internalize Messiah. Listen to this. By eating a meal of Seuda Mashiach, we are internalizing this concept of Messiah into our bodies and we make it real. We bring it into the world of action. He goes on later to say, so now, we infuse every act that we do with the aura and with the radiance of Mashiach. And perhaps we can say that specifically wine and matzah are crucial to this meal because matzah is the food of faith. By eating the matzah, we are strengthening our faith in the coming of Messiah, believing that today he can come. And the wine represents the idea of joy, of simcha, that we have joy in the awaiting in the coming of Mashiach, that we know he is coming that we are so joyful that he is about to come. Rabbi Aaron Raskin, Mashiach's Meal, the eighth day of Passover, is the article on Chabad.org. Did you hear? <laughs> Did you hear what he said? He said, it's not enough. It's not enough that we, that we think about Mashiach. How many of us as, as from Christian backgrounds, now Torah pursuant, whatever you call yourself, whatever we call ourselves, how many of us, we think about Messiah? A lot. We meditate. What will it be like? What will, it, what will we understand? What will it, 
you know, who will finally finally get the the, the answers they've always asked, uh, you know, the, the questions they've always asked. What what will it be like? We 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 think a lot about Messiah in our own personal meditation, you know, times, and also collectively, the songs we sing, the scriptures we read, the teachings we give and hear, etc. But he says it's not just enough to think about it. Secondly, it's not just enough to talk about it. We talk a lot about Messiah. And we attribute Messiah, we attribute to Messiah a lot of things. On one side, he's all love and no judgment. On the other side, he's all judgment and no love. We talk about what he, his relationship with the Jewish people of his day. We talk about what it would be like if he were here today as his first coming. We, we, we talk, we talk, 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 and we think, 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 think a lot about Messiah. And Rabbi Raskin says it's not enough to do that. But we have to internalize Messiah. And we do that in the Jewish community. They do that by the Messiah's meal, by eating chamet, uh, by eating uh, matzah and drinking wine. Matzah being the, the food of faith that, that I don't need much because Messiah is coming. Redemption is coming. And I'll say, I'll add to his statement on that. Also, matzah is called the bread of what? Our affliction, right? That today in our world, we are afflicted. We're afflicted because we're surrounded by chaos and violence. We're surrounded by evildoers and by unrighteousness. We're surrounded by a lack of justice and all of these things. And we are afflicted, if not personally, if not personally persecuted, handcuffed and jailed. We're afflicted in our spirits because we see the chaos around us and we know that there is better. And then he talks about the the wine, the wine standing for in, in Judaism, the wine on, on, on Rev Shabbat and on the feast days, the wine stands for joy. In the midst of the affliction, in the midst of the faith, in the midst of the waiting, we should have a joy. We should have a happiness. We should have a, and, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't care about, you know, I've heard all my life, well, joy is different than happiness. You know what? Over and over and over when the scripture says blessed is or blessed are, or even, even when Messiah was giving the Sermon on the Mount, which we'll talk about in a little bit, when he said, blessed are, that means Psalm 1, blessed is the man, happy, 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 happy. It's not this super ethereal, like mysterious joy. It's just happy, just happy, just generally and overall in a good mood. <laughs> generally pleasant and happy and nice to be around. That's what blessed is. <laughs> really simple. So this thing about the wine representing joy, right, is, is really incredible. But the minute I heard this, it brought me to another place, and I'm sure most of you are already way, way ahead of me. But let's read some more, and let's see how these two things match up. Now, while they were eating, Yeshua took matzah, and after he offered the bracha, the blessing, he broke and gave to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the removal of sins. But I say to you, I will neither drink of the fruit of this vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And then verse 30, after singing the Hallel, they went out to the Mount of Olives. <laughs> Rabbi Raskin 
a Brooklyn Heights rabbi who may or may not know any Christians, may or may not know anything or very much at all about Yeshua the Nazarene, besides what he was taught maybe in rabbinic training, said that it's not enough that we talk about or think about Messiah, but we internalize him when we eat this Seudah Mashiach, this Messiah's meal, we internalize him so that we can emanate his aura. We can emanate his, his ethic and his personality. Everything that is him, we make it real when we turn thoughts and words into eating. We've talked ad nauseum on this show about how eating in Scripture is worship, is an act of worship. And so this fits right along with that idea. Yeshua is not making up some weird, crazy, like, what the heck is he, this, eat my body? Drink my blood? What? You see, when we say, oh, the Jews have messed everything up, and we're going to throw out everything that they have thought, everything that their sages, their brilliant, mind-numbingly brilliant sages have 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 uh, have you know brought to us over the centuries when we say we're going to throw all of that out what we're also throwing out is the context for the messiah himself we're throwing out the world the culture the lingua franca the the whole idiomatic uh life and and express way of expression of the messiah himself and so that's okay. Go ahead and throw out all the Jewish tradition. Go ahead and throw Don't listen to the rabbis and don't listen to the sages. Don't read Rashi and don't read Rambam. And don't, don't want, you know, just throw all the Jewish stuff in a, in a trash can somewhere. Go ahead. And then go back and wrestle with the words of Messiah and turn his words, the, 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 the blessed Messiah, turn Yeshua the Messiah's words into all kinds of crazy, weaponized, just dogmatic junk and let's keep dividing each other and let's keep oppressing people and let's keep marginalizing people and let let's let's keep making the 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 yeshua the messiah the savior of the world the redeemer of all creation let's keep making him a point of division and a point of argument instead of understanding his world his attitude his personality the 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 idiomatic expressions that that he uses and the and the, the teaching style that he uses and all which is which all comes from the very things that we want to throw away let's 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 understand him in his context i've been in church my entire life ladies and gentlemen i have read matthew 26 a thousand times and always wondered what in the world is he talking about what is going on? What is happening? And the Catholic Church believes that when you take communion, you are actually eating the physical body and drinking the physical blood, the Eucharist, right? The whole idea of the Eucharist. Now, I love my Catholic friends, and, I, and, and for whatever, whatever it's worth, I love and respect people that, that follow what they believe and they know why they believe it, whether it be a Christian denomination or otherwise. If you follow what you believe and you know why and you're a, a benefit and an aid to society, I, I, can't, I can't argue with that. But the way they view the Eucharist is weird. 
I'm sorry. No disrespect meant maybe it's from a place of misunderstanding. If any Catholics are listening, which I doubt, but if any are, I'm sorry. The way the Eucharist is understood is weird to me as a Protestant. I know there are things that we do that are weird to you guys as Catholics. It is what it is. But hearing a rabbi say the ancient wisdom, the ancient wisdom behind the, the, Messiah, uh, the, the Messiah's meal, this didn't come along until centuries after Yeshua. But the wisdom there from the sages of Israel, from the sages of Judah, is that if we want to really personify and if we really want to express and live out in a real, tactile, real way, then we have to eat as an act of worship. This, this makes this whole episode come to life. This makes this whole episode make sense. It's complete now. Yeshua's not making something up. He's telling his disciples, this, you know this. You, you know this concept. You know this idea. Now what I'm telling you is, Partake of me, I'm the Messiah. Partake of me, and, and my attributes will fill your life. S- don't think about it, and don't talk about it only, but get to work being a representative of me, being the embodiment of me. We are called, after all, the body of Messiah, are we not? What does a body do? If a body is not moving and growing and adapting and changing, then it's laying still on a cold table in a cold room, it's dead. We are to be the body. We are to be expressing him. So my question is, what do people see? What kind of Messiah, what kind of of king, what kind of God of the universe do people see when they watch us and when they watch us expressing what we are? Are we expressing us? which is not a bad thing. I'm not saying you have to, you know, not be you, but in, in your, in your cultivation as a person of faith in your, in a cultivation as a disciple of Yeshua and as a child of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what are we expressing to the world? Are we showing them a God that is only hate and judgment, a Messiah that only came to flip tables in the temple? Or are we showing them a God that hears the, the zakah, the cry, the oppressed cry of those that are, that are downcast and slaves and, and, and oppressed and minimalized? Are, are we showing them a God that hears the cry of people that are hurting and a Messiah that came to spend his entire life living to give hope to people that were hurting and that were oppressed? I love the play of, of the, the wine. Yeshua says, this is my blood, when in Judaism, wine is thought of as joy. So do we need to maybe expand our thinking of the blood of Messiah? Instead of just being uh, something that that's, uh, that's covers things, what about not just the blood at his death, but what about the blood of his life? The blood of his life. That the blood that coursed through his veins while he was living, while he lived a life of complete and total joy, while he lived as a, a happy, outgoing person that people wanted to be around, wanted to cleave to, wanted to be around. Mr. Personality, right? And I know that may say, that may seem like I'm trying, I'm, I'm making it trivial and I'm I'm making a small I'm not. That's that is as spiritual as as, you know, praying in your closet for 10 hours a day and coming out and floating on the crowds around. 
it's 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 as spiritual just to be a person that people find comfort in and peace and and wholeness in. So Yeshua challenges his disciples with this very same concept that Rabbi Raskin, a you know 21st century Chabad rabbi from Brooklyn Heights, New York, that may have not ever met a Christian, this same ideal that he expresses in this Seudah Moshiach. That we internalize Messiah when we eat of the unleavened bread and the wine. This should be challenging for us, ladies and gentlemen. This should be, this should really have, this should be laying out some real questions for you in how you approach things and how we think about things and how we, how we process things and who we're looking to for wisdom and guidance. Uh, do, do I... Do I approve of everything that Judaism teaches? No. Judaism doesn't even always approve of everything Judaism teaches. Do I agree with everything Judaism teaches? No. But on the other side, I don't agree with myself half the time. And I think if we're honest, most of us feel the same way. So it's not about, it's not about going in whole hog and agreeing. No, I'm sorry, that, that's not kosher. It's not about going all in and agreeing with everything or following everything or thinking every it's not about that it's about putting the context of scripture back together and especially that of the gospels and our messiah in some of his most important teachings yeshua goes on in matthew 5 or before uh the before the final meal he goes on top of a mountain top of a hill and he he gives a sermon on the mount and he talks about those that are poor and those that are humble, and those that are persecuted. Man, you know what? That sounds like a lot like Isaiah 11. That the Messiah would come and judge the, the, des, the, the downtrodden righteously. That he would judge the humble. Those that have been stepped on and persecuted and oppressed. So when you link all of this together, the fact that in Judaism... They're not anxious to get over the last day of Pesach. They're not of Hakamatsu. They're not anxious to like, when is this going to be over? I can't wait to get back into my donuts and coffee and my cheeseburger and my, well, they don't eat cheeseburgers, my hamburgers, whatever. I can't wait to get back into all that doughy yumminess. They're not, they're not, they may be thinking that, but they have a, before we do that, they have this idea that before we do that, we're going to celebrate the meal of Messiah with expectation and excitement and anticipation, and hope, and joy, and passion, and fervor, and curiosity. See, Paul said that we should provoke the Jewish people to jealousy. I wish he would have balanced that statement by saying, hey, you Jews, you provoke the nations to righteousness. And as the nations learn righteousness, it ought to make you Jews more serious about your job to be a light to the nations. And hey, nations, as the Jewish people become more more uneasy with how you guys are loving God and, and hopefully more open, it should, it should revo- invoke you to become more righteous, more like them. Oh, man. I don't want to be like no Jews. All right. You realize you're talking about your Messiah when you say that. 
So when you when you when you couple that this 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 thing about this ant- anticipation that they are celebrating a meal and taking a, a an afternoon and an evening out of the last day of their feast where they just dream and and focus on the coming Messiah they're 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 celebrating a Messiah they haven't even met yet and here we are so arrogant and so complacent and so comfortable that we just go like, yeah, Jesus died for my sins and I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. Cool. Now I can go about my day. Now I can keep these seven days and get it over with. And, and I did what I was supposed to do. What, what, what are we thinking? I hope you can hear the angst and the frustration in my voice because the real state of Christianity, of the church, of the, 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 the nation, you know, the, whatever we call ourselves, Ephraim, uh, you know, whatever. The real state of, of affairs is that we need to learn something from the Jewish people, and that is an accountability and a righteousness that we don't understand and a fervor that we don't understand. We've gotten so sick and tired and so complacent and so so distracted and so comfortable. We need to learn from them. And then Put on top of that the layer of eating as worship and how that ties into everything. Put on top of that the eighth day of Pesach where things become new and stay new. When Yeshua came and lived his life and did his ministry and was killed, was murdered, and hung on a cross and was buried and resurrected and then ascended to the Father, he began a new reality. He began the eighth day. So I hope this has been challenging, as I say all the time, and encouraging and I hope it piques your curiosity, and I hope you will go do some research, First Fruits of Zion, Chabad, wherever you can, on Seuda Mashiach, S-E-U-D-A-H, Mashiach. We got a lot to do, guys. It's exciting. What a great time to be alive. I love you all. Blessings and Shalom. Shalom.